but a document gets submitted into our portal and it's re- you know for editing. One of our lead editors takes it. We have four different times throughout the day that they come on. They assign it to the editor that's been assigned to that account. The editor edits it. There's a whole process there. They QA their own work. They send it back to QA. Lead editor QAs it and returns it to the customer. I don't touch it. <laughs> and that's been amazing because it just like frees me up so much to do the things that I'm good at. So I think that's been like the biggest unlock for me and how like just over the years, like businesses have been able to grow and been able to grow faster and bigger simply because like I'm not the bottleneck anymore. Right. And now I know enough about myself, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, that those are the things I prioritize hiring. Welcome to Building Bigfoot. I'm uh, your host, Jonathan. I'm with uh, John Darty, which is really cool. So I met John. I don't know if you remember this. I met you. Oh, I want to say probably was it either 2019 or 2020 in an elevator in Atlanta. And yep. uh, <laughs> 2020, just before the world shutdowns, like February 2020. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was then. And and uh, we just met you for the first time. And I remember thinking like, oh, this guy looks like really cool. I don't know anything about you. And um you you turned to us and and we weren't very active at the time on the social group and you're like dude you should definitely get active and that had such a big impact on me uh that I actually started getting way more active in social media groups i've always been active on my personal profile but like actually being active and being intentional and then a couple of years ago we had the like awesome pleasure of hanging out here in Kelowna going to a bunch of like these really cool wineries we went to mission hill and uh that's the owner of um Oh, what he owns White like Claw. Uh, White Claw, yeah. right? Yeah, he owns, and he also is the guy who bring uh, brought in um, the uh, Corona beers to basically America and Canada and everywhere else. And so, and but that's where he started. He started with Mission Hill, and uh, and it's a really cool winery. Like the royal family goes there sometimes. It's just just a neat spot. And, and obviously, we got to try some different wines and pair it with different foods. It was. Yeah, it was tons of fun. What a good experience. Yeah, that was awesome. I remember being at Mission Hill and going down and um, like into their like, I mean, giant like wine tunnel, let's call it, right? Wine cave. And they showed us behind, like there was a special part behind like a, you know, big gate that like there was a, there was a bottle there that was given to him, I think by King Charles. I'm pretty, either him or like Prince William or someone. Um, But yeah, like by the royal family. So I was like, Dang, this, this place, this dude's legit. And then I found out he owns White Claw and he also started um, Mike's Hard Lemonade, I think. I think Mike's Hard Lemonade and then did White Claw. And yeah, so anyways, yeah, that was that was awesome. Yeah, I remember hanging out that day and I, I don't remember the name of the last winery, but it was like right down by the lake and talking to you and your brother. And yeah, man, that was that was an awesome, awesome time. It was like, what a great town. You're, you have, you're lucky to get to live there. Yeah, it's, it is a cool spot. And, um, but you're in a cool spot too. Uh, you, you do a lot of like, you, you, do you live on the mountain? Like a, like a schema? I do not. So I live in Denver, Colorado, um, down in the, the queen city of the plains is what it was known as. So actually like, it's like right at the foothills of the Rockies, but we, we do have a place up by, uh, Breckenridge up in the mountains. So we spend basically every weekend, every other weekend, summer, fall, winter, and mud season, we don't really go. But um, yeah, do a lot of skiing, hiking, mountain biking, that kind of thing. So we moved here uh, about a little over seven years ago from the Bay Area. My wife and I were in San Francisco for a few years um, and moved here basically for the lifestyle. And she got a remote job and I'm, you know, been self-employed for a long time. So we kind of picked where we wanted to live. Um, And we've kind of been slowly making our way more west in Denver. Um, Someday we'll move to the mountains probably, but we're not ready yet. We have a young family. So 
Yeah, and you you've been a digital entrepreneur for forever, like uh, twenty years. Uh, no, I've been uh, I've been in digital marketing and doing like stuff online for sixteen years now. I've been a self I've been an entrepreneur and self employed for and I always had side projects, but I've been fully self employed since uh, for about eight and a half years since like September twenty fifteen. So it's been a ride. Yeah, and you're you've got Editor Ninja, which is a super mm-hmm. cool app. I love it. Yeah, I'm checking it out, and it's like. You've edited more than 5 million words. Which more is, than 6 million now. Yeah. More than 6 million. It just keeps growing. Hey, it's like, I remember when you posted the first, I think it was like 100,000 words. Yep. And it's just whoosh, yep. gone up from there. Yep. Yep. I remember we were when we were in Kelowna, it was a side project. And I was running another company at the time as well. Um, that was more of my like full-time thing in Edernidge, which is a side project. And so I'd like, I, I remember sitting there in the conference at the, the SAS Academy like intensive and kind of thinking how I would apply what we were learning to both businesses. And most of the evenings like or afternoons when I'd go back to my room, I'd have like editor and just stuff to do. And yeah, we were probably, we were probably like 200, 300,000 words then. And so like two years on now we're over 6 million. We're doing, we're editing 600, 700,000 words a month right now. So team of 12 editors, 14 of us total. I have a head of operations. So yeah, it's just like kind of taking on a life of its own, which is pretty cool. That is very cool. That's super cool. So, um, I love to like dig into people's story, and and I find that to be like for me personally one of the most interesting things about it. Like, what was the like point for you when you thought to yourself, "Man, I'm gonna like take the jump and go fully self-employed, fully entrepreneur." Yeah. So <clears throat> my backstory is so I I did full time like SEO, content marketing, digital marketing um, for a number of years full time from end of 2010 until the end of 2015. So about five six years, I worked agency side for a number of years, about three and a half years. And I went in house with Zillow, um, the real estate company. So I ran marketing on a couple of their brands, um, Hotpads.com and then Trulia Rentals. So really overseeing everything inbound, nothing like you know Google Ads or anything like that, but everything inbound. So SEO content content, PR, what have you. And so I I started my first business called Credo um, on the side for my agency job in 2013. And it was kind of a side project. And as we were living in San Francisco, I was like, man, I kind of I want to do more here, but I just didn't have the time. And you know, I also wasn't super happy at my job. So I was actually like, I was saving up to be able to leave, but was also interviewing around. And long story short, I got back from a vacation in September of 2015 and got laid off the next day. So I uh, just caught up in some post-acquisition drama and just a bunch of stuff went down. And so I got laid off. And I remember uh, we, you know, we were in San Francisco at the time, third floor walk-up apartment. We have a 100-pound Black Lab Great Dane. So I was like, I took him to the dog park you know, that afternoon. And my wife came and met up with me. I guess she got off early that day. And she was like, how was your day? And I was like, so I got laid off. Um, and she's like, okay. Like, you know, we're like, we've been married for like 18 months. And she's like, what are you, you know, what are you going to do? And I was like, I think I'm going to give working for myself a shot. Um, so I had, I had three months of severance, which was great. You know, I had a little, we had a little bit of savings and I knew I could pick up consulting, like SEO consulting if I needed to. And basically gave myself three months to replace, uh, you know, my half of our income. Two weeks later, I signed a five figure SEO audit and then signed a four, mid four figure SEO audit and then signed an ongoing client. And basically, the rest is history. Kind of did that for a while, kind of balancing that and and uh, and Credo for a while. I stepped out of Credo about a year ago, the full time day to day a year ago, and to really focus on Editor Ninja. But I kind of balanced the two for a number of years. Went full time on Credo at the start of 2019, 
and, you know, just kind of, kind of gone from there, you know, building what I call they're, they're productized agencies, productized services. So we have like a set way that we build a set, th- set amount of things that we deliver. And I actually build a technology layer in the middle, kind of workflow software to facilitate the delivery of work. So, um, that's kind of, wow. kind of the story, man. So how did you, how did you meet your first client? Our very first. For my first company, Credo, our very first um, customer was... So I, I basically started that company because I was getting out of doing my own SEO consulting. Um, I was I had a very busy agency job. I was 28 single living in New York City and was like... I'm spending half my weekends you know, doing doing work for freelance clients and I, I didn't need the money. So my client, I told my clients, they're like, well, where who should I work with? And so I started like kind of introducing them to people... And then I got in a lead. It was like February or March of that year. I got in a lead and it was like, it was in Provo, Utah, which is where some of my good friends run an agency. So I emailed my buddy Brandon and I'm like, Hey man, I just got in this lead. Would you be willing to pay 50 bucks for the intro? Three minutes later, three minutes later, he's like, I get an email back. Yeah. What's your PayPal? <laughs> so I sent it to him three minutes later. I had 50 bucks. I made the, you know, I made the intro. I went and, uh, bought a domain and some, you know, threw it up some cheap hosting and, he went on to make thousands of dollars and, you know, I guess, I guess it all worked out. Um, so they, they were co- our customer for a really long time there. Um, so, so that was just like relationships. Um, but all the like lead gen and customers and everything that we do, I mean, it really largely comes from like my network and, and relationships and referrals and that sort of stuff though. We do get them, you know, I did SEO and content and content marketing for a really long time. So we drive a lot of traffic to those two and get customers that way as well. So those are kind of our primary, primary acquis- acquisition channels. Yeah. And then how did the idea for Credo come about? Was it just a natural evolution for, for where you were and, and what you were like love to do? Yeah. Or? I mean, that, that business was just like, it was just straight out of there was a market need and I knew I could build it. Editor Ninja is different. Um, so I'll get into that in a minute. But with Credo, it was basically like I was getting out of consulting and needed somewhere to send leads and realize people will buy leads. And so I started selling people leads. <laughs> it's kind of how it was, you know? Like I was, I was listening to a, uh, a podcast this morning, Alex Ramosi podcast interview with um, Harley Finkelstein, I believe is his name. He's the president of Shopify. And they were, he was talking about his first business, which was like selling screen printed t-shirts to like universities, right? Like not passionate about t-shirts, not passionate about screen printing. He just needed to make some money. Right. And so I honestly kind of saw it as a money, a money opportunity. It was like a stair step into, you know, something bigger. It was a money opportunity. It was a side project. I knew I could be successful with it. And so I just kind of, just kind of did it. Editor Ninja is different. Um, there's definitely more like, like I've, I've never been super passionate about like generating leads for marketing agencies and making people who can afford to pay for leads richer. Just didn't really like it. It, it doesn't get me up in the morning. Let me put it that way. But with Editor Ninja, like I'm a writer. I've been a writer my whole life. It's like, it's how I built my, my career. It's kind of reflecting on it this morning that like everything that has come out of my career that has been good for me has started with me publishing online, writing and publishing online. But I'm not an editor. I don't like self editing. And so I was, uh, a few years ago, I was, um, I was writing for Credo, no longer had time to do it. We had the, the revenue. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to hire a freelance writer. So I hired a freelance writer, uh, through a friend's company and I was doing all of the strategy. Um, all like the research, all the briefs. And then I was doing also doing all of the editing. And I was the bottleneck because it would take me days to get to this, like, you know, to copy edit this, like, and format and whatever this piece of content. And so I was the bottleneck in 
something getting content out to the world, right? And, the, and I believe, and I know that the more content you can get out faster, more good content you can get out faster, the faster your business is going to grow. Your organic traffic is going to grow. Your leads are going to grow. All of that. I was the bottleneck. So my, uh, my assistant at the time, who is now editor ninja's head of operations is a trained editor. And so I started paying her to edit content. Um, and we started getting it out a lot faster and it's just kind of grown from there and, and got to the point where, yeah, I was like, this business just has a lot of energy to it and it's really fun to run. And so I made the shift to work on it full time uh, about 13 months ago and we've like 13 X in size since then. So, you know, from a small base, but like it's grown fast. And so it's been, it's been really fun. Yeah. So you, you started that really out of your own need. Yeah. Um, need and passion, need, need, need and love for totally. it. Totally. I share your love for writing. I share, it's the same thing. Like the other thing you said there, which I think is worth like kind of clicking on, which is you've, you've obviously got a love and a passion for, for writing, but it's like whenever you've worked in, in, in writing, it sounds like that's always been an open door for you. So it's like, there's been a lot of either favor or opportunity. It's just like things have worked well. Yeah. So why do you think that is? Is that because you're like an amazing writer or is it because it ties to your passions? Like what, what do you think that? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't think I'm an amazing writer. I think I'm a good writer, but I'm, I'm not like, I'm not Pulitzer Prize winning, um, like level by any means, but like <laughs> I can create. Yeah. Yeah. May, I mean, maybe. And like part of that too comes from like having an amazing editor, right? That can take like the thoughts that are in your brain and, you know, get it into a, you know, into a, a into a, a, not format, but like, you know, they, they make it great. I think for me, it's, I love to teach. Like I've, I come from a family of educators. Like my dad worked in higher education for 31 years. My mom just retired from being a lifelong elementary school teacher a couple of years ago. She also homeschooled us till I was in high school. My grandmother was an elementary school teacher, my dad's mom. Um, so like I come from a family of educators. I love to teach and, um, I'm just willing to write, you know, and I'm, and I can be consistent with it. Part of it for me is like, it's just getting the thoughts out of my brain. Like writing is how I process writing. And, and now like I've been doing a lot more video, not really publishing much of it, but like in my car driving home from taking my daughter to school every day, I'll pop on and do like an eight to 10 minute video, just like kind of talking through what I'm learning and what's going on and all of that. I just love, I love to teach and it just like, it just comes really naturally to me. And then I was willing to publish. Um, and so I started like my, um, I mean, I've had a blog since I was like 17, but then like professionally, I launched my personal website in like late 2010, early 2011. And then that, that got me in with a, a good crew of, of people in the SEO world, got me my job at the agency in New York City, which was partnered with one of the biggest SEO companies at the time, Moz, SEO Moz, that became Moz. So I got to write on their, like on their blog and on the distilled blog, distilled the agency I worked for, which also had a big reach. And it just like built my name and built my audience really fast just because like, you know, anytime someone was like, uh, cause people would be assigned, um, to like, all right, you, you have the Tuesday blog post, you have the Thursday blog post. And every now and then someone would be like, Oh, I've been busy with like client work. I haven't had time to get a blog post. Does anyone have one? I'm like, I do. Like I always had like three or four that I could just like take and publish. And so I just published a ton. And that just, that just built my, built my name and built my career and all of that. So, you know, I don't, I don't get to write as, I don't publish as much anymore as like I used to, but I published. And I think just like, I think just being consistent with it is kind of my, um, is, was, was kind of my strong suit and kind of my cheat code. I published every Tuesday and Thursday on my personal blog for two and a half years, every single one. So all like, you know, thousand to four thousand word, you know, gave away some free tools and some of it was opinion and that pissed people off. And some of it was, you know, super tactical and 
I don't know, man. It just, it just, it's just kind of gone from there. So yeah, but I think a lot of it's like, I'm willing, I'm willing to be transparent. I'm willing to share what I'm learning. I'm willing to be wrong. Um, you know, and I don't, I don't wait to publish until it's perfect, but now I publish, you know, free of typos and, you know, grammatical errors at least. So and fin- and I fully finished thoughts, um, which I didn't have before I started working with editors, but that's just kind of how it's, how it's gone, man. I don't know. It's just like, I, th- I think if you're willing to put yourself out there and you're willing to say smart things and give strong opinions held loosely, hopefully, I don't know, good things come. So, so yeah, I totally agree with you and not just agree with you. It's so cool to hear your story. Like good things do come. And I used to write more on a personal blog. I don't write it anymore, but I'm getting inspired just talking to you. I'm going to post again. Uh, And I remember I wrote a bunch of like, I just kind of write about whatever I was interested in. I'd like write essays or uh, thoughts or I'd write um, about uh, like setting up servers and then one day I checked my traffic and for like the first two years, I think I got like maybe like not even nine visitors a month. And sure. then, uh, and then one day I checked it and it was like 5,000 visitors then 20,000. And then it was like 500,000. And, uh, yeah. Did you hit, just, hit the front page of Hacker News or something? Like I what don't happened? know. I don't know what wow. happened. I, uh, I had some like, um, guys from San Fran retweet some stuff I wrote in, mm. um, uh, back in like, uh, this would have been like 2012, maybe, and um, and then uh, it just got on the algorithm, and uh, and then and then the site got um, got hacked. It got uh, which is you know, and, and I was so busy doing other stuff that I just never got around to um, you know taking care of it. So I did. I, I did end up taking care of it, but uh, it it was sort of like it surprised me what happened. I've never forgotten it, but the uh, it, it was also really cool. Like, so when you publish, where where are you publishing? Are you publishing to your blog? Are you publishing? Uh, like, where do you see the consistency of publishing? So, for anyone listening, uh, like, where should they be publishing? And then my follow up yeah. question to that is, like, what kind of content? Like, like not maybe the topics, but more style of content. Do you see? Um, at that time, I was mainly writing on my own personal site, johnfdoherty.com. I still publish. My goal is to publish 12 good essays there this year. I don't think I've published one yet, but um, I have a lot of time, right? I'll probably do a lot of it in the second half of the year. Um, and then also just like on other, you know, on other sites, so on the Distill blog, on the Moz blog, that kind of thing. Wrote a lot on the Credo blog. I still do some on the Editor Ninja site. Um, I have a few like, um, kind of that, that I'm working on, um, as I go. So, you know, really like at the start, like if you don't have an audience, like I definitely recommend building a like personal site, you know, and if you're, that's still like the type of content, it's really whatever you're best at. Um, like, you know, I, I like long form, um, you know, a lot of images and like that sort of stuff. Um, how to stuff does really well. Um, once you've kind of established your name, then, you know, people actually listen to your opinions and kind of debate with you and that sort of stuff. So I like to make, I like mixing that sort of stuff in there these days. I mean, it's a lot of short form, um, you know, stuff. So like I, I'll do like some like Instagram reels or, you know, stuff on Facebook stories or whatever, but that's just more like, for me to keep the the creative juices flowing um, is really what that what that is for me. But like the real meaty stuff for me is still all written out. Um, and actually, funny story for you. So the way I met Dan Martell was through content, was through writing. So I built a pretty well like followed you know personal site in like the SEO and digital marketing space. Dan was launching Clarity.fm, and I get an email from this woman Renee who became his wife. 
Oh, wow. Um, asking if I would interview Dan because they were launching basically in the digital marketing space. That was their first like vertical that they were going into with experts. Um, I was, so I was one of the first like SEO experts on Clarity, but I met Dan by interviewing him on my personal site. And like, I mean, this is 2012, maybe 13. Like that is how I got connected in with Dan. And then like kept that friendship going over the years and then joined SaaS Academy and, you know, became a coach in SaaS Academy and all of that. Yeah. Like content brought, I mean, that, Literally, me blogging 12 years ago is why we are here today. <laughs> like, straight up. So, you know, the number and, of and, doors, hey, that just opened. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. But, like, yeah. So, when people ask me, like, well, I don't know what to publish, I'm like, what do you know? Okay. Can you pull out your, your camera on your phone and post it on Instagram? Yes. Okay. Cool. Even if you don't have an audience, like, no one starts with an audience, you build your audience. And you do it by being consistent and sharing stuff that, you know, that, that teaches people, that makes people think, you know, riles people up sometimes. That can be a strategy. You know, I don't like to do too much, too much of that, but like it works. Um, so I, I just tell people, I'm like, what do you know? Do you like to share? You know, do you like to teach? And then like, how do you make it easy? You know, just like you don't have to edit. You don't have to put captions. Like you don't have to do like have a full production staff to do like, you know, Hormozy style captions and that sort of stuff. Like, just start where you are and grow into it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then what are you seeing as far as like the... the? Well, two questions actually before I ask that one. Um, when you said build your audience, so obviously Instagram is is powerful for, for building an audience. But then are you... Like if people come to your website, do you capture their email? Like how do you invite people to to follow you or do you just let that happen organically? So the way I do it is not the way I recommend people do it. <laughs> we're, we're always best at giving other people, uh, you know, advice. Solomon's paradox is what, is what that's called. Solomon's paradox. Solomon's paradox, right? Solomon, the wisest man ever, right? From the from the Bible, basically, like he was he was known as the wisest man ever. Gave like great advice to other people, and his own life was a total wreck, <laughs> like total total wreck. You know, yeah, he um, wrote like, Ecclesiastes, the, which is like the most yeah, depressing book in the world. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, he also wrote Proverbs, right? Yeah, which which is, is like. Amazing. The wisdom, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like the original like book of wisdom. But in, anyways, yeah, that like the, the fact that people give better advice to others and they like follow and give to themselves is called Solomon's Paradox. Um, but basically like the way, I mean, the way I do it is like, you know, I have, I have like a, a lot of following, a big following on Twitter, a lot of followers there, 34,000 plus, but like posting a lot on threads. And I built a lot of that like pre getting laid off. I had like 16,000 then. So like it's doubled in the last like eight years, but you know, most of it came from like writing and being consistent there. You know, I have, I don't know, small following on Instagram, small following on, you know, LinkedIn. Well, almost 10,000 people following me on LinkedIn, I think, but it just has all come from like, you know, just creating content there. And I'm getting better at like focusing down the messaging, like who we're right, you know, who, who I'm targeting, who I'm, who I'm, well, who, who, I, who I want to listen what they're thinking about and what I know and kind of like at that, at the, you know, center of that Venn diagram, like that's the kind of concept I'm starting to put out. I think I do have an email capture. I do have an email capture on my personal website. Um, we have some ways for people to like get more information on, uh, on editor ninja, but you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that like, I don't know. I feel like once your business or your, your audience is a bit more mature, then it's like, all right, we have a good base. We have a good base of customers. We have a good base of revenue. This thing is consistent and it's growing. Now, how do we do more of it? Right. So then like getting like, I've been working on like a, a lead magnet um, for Editor Ninja, whether it's a calculator or a guide or whatever, like just kind of an easy way. As Russell Brunson talks about, it's the bottom of the value ladder. It's something free that helps them out and then they move up to the next ladder and then the next ladder and then the next ladder, you know? It's like Martel's like, 
YouTube channel and social media accounts, Growth Accelerator, at least in the software world, Growth Accelerator, SaaS Academy, Boardroom, and then his private clients, right? It's that value ladder. So, you know, I've, I'm like kind of squarely in the, in the middle there, which is where you like you kind of start. And then you got your downsells, your upsells, and eventually you have your free stuff, which gets people into your funnel. And then you kind of take them up the value ladder. So I, but, but I will say like, I don't like building audiences on someone else's platform, at least, at least relying on that. Cause like, my Twitter account could get shut down tomorrow, right? And all of a sudden I lose those like 34,000 followers. So I think like if I could go back and do something different, it, I would have built like a personal like email list and like kept that list active a lot earlier. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think that especially with the way things are going, you know, we have the like in the next few couple months here, Google's releasing their whole update to the browser, the way that the like, the cookies are being stored and all that kind of stuff uh, going to the server side. And the, I think that having your own audience, building your audience, owning the, the information is, is really critical because it's, it's just how do you, how do you stay in front of the people that you're, you're building? Yep. But that said, if you can start with 30 plus thousand people <laughs> on any platform, that's a big advantage because it takes oh, totally. years to build that. Like totally, totally. I mean, it is. It is a cheat code. And like a lot of the reason why I was able to get Editor Ninja going and then it has kept growing is because I did establish that audience early on. I've provided consistent value for a long time and I kind of build for, I build for me, but also like not just me. Like I solve my problem, which I also know is a problem for a lot of other people that I'm already connected with agency owners, freelancers, et cetera. And so like I can very directly speak, you know, to them. I already have that built in audience. Um, so it is a cheat code. You don't have to have a built in, like I, I saw something, I think it was Rob Walling, uh, from Starts for the Rest of Us, MicroConf, Tiny Seed retweeted a, a Jason Cohen, um, a smart bear, um, tweet where, or I think Jason retweeted Rob. It was, I think Rob said that like, it's like only, it's like 5% of the 150 plus companies they have funded in Tiny Seed started with any sort of audience in their space. So I would actually say I am the exception that proves the rule that like you don't have to build an audience ahead of time, but building an audience can be a cheat code, right? But there are other cheat codes too. You can be phenomenal at running ads. You can be phenomenal at putting on events. You can be phenomenal at, you know, sponsoring booths. You can be phenomenal at speaking, right? And just like going to, you know, being at conferences. You can be phenomenal at networking and just meeting all the people in your town. Like there are a lot of cheat codes. Building an audience and writing content is mine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a great cheat code. Like, like you said, like once you have, once you have the ability to, to like, uh, attract and grow your audience, now you have something which is, you know, one of the most important things you need, which is distribution. Like you need to have a channel to be able to communicate what it is that you have or that you're doing or you're offering to your community, but in a way that is, um, that's relevant. I, I should, yeah, I should kind of dive into that too. But, what would be like some of the challenges that you've faced as you've you've gone into entrepreneurship, being a, a pioneer in the digital space for as long as you have? What would be some of the challenges that you faced that maybe you didn't foresee, but or that you walked through, and now you're on the other other side of it? Oh man, that's a good question. So I will say one that I I don't feel like I've cracked yet, but we're working hard on now is like you know Editor Ninja's gotten to where it is. Um, you know we're like approaching mid six. We're we're like low to high mid six figures in revenue in annual revenue at this point. And one of the things we're we're working on is establishing consistent like lead generation processes. Um because like 
my audience only takes us so far and referrals only take you so far, right? Like you get them and they're good and they close, but they're not consistent. And you can't just like spend 500 more dollars and get 10 more qualified leads, right? Like it's a different sort of thing. Um, you kind of like take what you're given. So we're, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find some other channels like, you know, we're continuing to build, build our traffic through content and, and that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, trying to get Google ads really working for us. It's actually working pretty well for us right now. Trying to get Facebook ads working, at least just like basic retargeting and like, you know, very targeted like, um, you know, ads to like agency owners and content marketing people and that sort of stuff. Um, just to try to get that consistent like flow coming in because that's how we're really going to be able to grow once I can hire like salespeople and really like go for it. But I think the biggest thing that I have learned over the years is like I'm, I'm a jack of all trades. I can do everything but design. Um, I can code, I can write, I can sell, I can market, I can do all of those things, right? I can do account management, um, I can do support though I hate it, and, um, but I can't do design. I married a designer, my wife's a, a software designer, so it's all good. But because I can do a lot of things, I had to learn how to work through other people. I had to learn how to hire people who are like specialists, um, communicate the vision, communicate the like, not like somewhat like when you hire them, right? It's like, this is how we've been doing it to this point. Now I need you to own it and make it your own. And then like really learning to trust people and let them like, let these experts make decisions about like the things that need to happen in the business. Right. So it's not like a top down, like kind of dictator directed sort of thing. And I just have a bunch of people that do what I ask them to, but there are people that are like, Hey, we need to do this thing. We haven't done this thing. I know we need to, I, it's blocking us, you know, here, here and here. So I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, create job descriptions for every single job so that when we need to hire more editors or another like lead editor or something like that, we just have that job description that we can take and post, you know, and then they figure out the software and the, you know, the, the applicant tracking software and all that sort of stuff. So really like what, what I've learned to do, and I, I think I'm pretty good at it now is hiring good, like knowing what we need to hire for, hiring good qualified people, and then being able to work through, like, delegate, not abdicate, and work through them to get things done. Like, I am not involved in the service delivery of Editor Ninja work at all beyond, like, account management and when people have questions. That's it. But a document gets submitted into our portal and it's, you know, for editing. One of our lead editors takes it. We have four different times throughout the day that they, that they come on and like look at documents that have been submitted. They assign it to the editor that's been assigned to that account with a start date and a due date. The editor edits it. There's a whole process there. They QA their own work. They send it back to QA. Lead editor QAs it and returns it to the customer. I don't touch it. <laughs> and that's been amazing because it just like frees me up so much to do the things that I'm good at, which are sales, business, marketing, like that sort of stuff. Um, so I think that's been like the biggest unlock for me and how like just over the years, like businesses have been able to grow and been able to grow faster and bigger simply because like I'm not the bottleneck anymore, right? Which is, I mean, how Editor Ninja started because I was the bottleneck, right? I'm just constantly trying to make myself not the bottleneck. And now I know enough about myself, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, that those are the things I prioritize hiring. Yeah, no, that's great. It's like with Editor Ninja, Ninja, it's you're attracting people. It's like, don't be the bottleneck to the getting your content out there. It's like basically unlock, unlock uh, Editor Ninja, unlock uh, that content. I, I, yeah. I think that, you know, I definitely can relate to that. Well, I, I've, I'm, I have no problem trusting people with work, but I for a long time would abdicate and I wouldn't delegate. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know the difference. I, I didn't know. But then later, what would happen is that I would, you know, through natural, like, you know, you, you start to review the work or you start to get in there and you look at stuff and you're thinking, wow, okay, this person needed a lot more coaching 
mm-hmm. than I realized. Mm-hmm. And I think great delegation is a little bit of coaching where it's like, you're not, you, you're basically, like you said, you're, like you, you're putting together your SOPs, but then you're reviewing, like you're, you're saying like, Hey, you do this part. I trust you with it. But then let's just like connect afterwards and see how it went. Mm-hmm. And then what do you think would be the next step forward? So it's like, it took me a long time to figure that out and yeah. um, still very much on the journey of learning how to delegate well. Uh, I, I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere there, but it's definitely a part of it. I have an amazing team. And then one of the, the positive things I'd say about abdication is I have an amazing team. Um, <laughs> right. And they definitely and they're not own. amazing. They don't stick around, you know? Uh, no, they, they stick around, but they're just like, but now putting like more of like the process driven stuff into, into things, yeah. uh, which has been really important, but just, yeah, learning that one, uh, I definitely learned that the hard way so I can, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Well, one of the, one of the biggest unlocks for me around hiring was, it was actually Martel again, where he, he told me one time, he's like, we, we were on like a SAS Academy call and he's like, I was, talk, I was asking about hiring and he was like, my take is, uh, something 80% done by someone else is 100% effing awesome. Yeah, I know. That That was right? a big light bulb for huge, me too. Huge, huge. Because like you can get it started. Like if you're doing 100% now, that means they, they're doing the middle 80. You can get it started. So like it's going in the right direction from the start, right? You're pointing, telling them run. They run. And then you're there at the end to do the final polish, final QA, feedback, training, etc. And then you get it out, right? But it saves you 80%. And so like once I heard that, because I, I see a lot of like founders and entrepreneurs and such that they're like, I just want to hire someone to do support so I don't have to do anything. It's like, that's the wrong mindset. You're always going to have, even if someone else is owning it, you're always going to have to get involved in it at some point in some way. But if they can own 80 to 90% of it, that's amazing because that's like, you know, that it just buys you back so much time and, and, and really just not even time, but focus. To do the other things, right? Um, cause if you're doing, you know, spending 10 hours a week on, on account management, right? And you can buy back eight of those hours. You've literally just gotten yourself back a full day in your week, right? Yeah. To work on other things. So, you know, I, I try to do like a, if I'm spending 30, 40% of my time on something, then I'm like, and, and it's, it's worth, it's still worth doing, right? So like ask yourself, should this be done at all? Um, and like, don't, don't delegate things that shouldn't be done. Like stop doing things that shouldn't be done. But if I'm spending a lot of time on it, I'm like, okay, would we benefit from having someone to do it more to focus their time? So like account management, for example, that's the next main, you know, major role that we're going to hire here. But like, we don't need a full time person. Um, we could afford them, but we don't need them. So I'm like, all right, I'm spending probably 25-30% of my time on this. Can I hire someone to spend 50% of their time, 60% of their time on it, right? Um, and then gradually like grow into a full-time role and then probably multiple people and all that as the business grows. But like, you know, so many people have like a I'm doing it all or someone else is doing it all. I don't think that's the right way to think about it. I think the right way to think about it is like I'm doing, I'm doing it someone else can do it and spend more time on it. So then I get that time back. And then eventually someone else is fully owning it. And you're kind of like, course, you know, little, little course corrections is needed. But you know, we're, we're never gonna that, that like black or white, like I'm doing it, I'm not doing it thing just doesn't, it just doesn't exist. And I think we need to stop believing that. Yeah, I, I, that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And um, to pick your brain on something on this too, because like, for me for a long time, I, uh, I always, I kind of had this belief that anything that's high value, that's what I'm going to hire for. Mm. Anything that's low value, I'm either going to try to automate or I'm going to just take care of it myself because it, the comp, it's not worth the company's investment to, to do that. Then, of course, 
talking about Dan, like he's really shifted my mind on that and flipped it the other way around. He's like the opposite. Like you mm. want to hire people on the, on the ABCs and then uh, th- that's freeing up your time to work on the high value stuff and then just keep like moving up the ladder, so to speak. Right. That said, I, I kind of feel like there's a, a culture that's come up recently and I think it's a misunderstanding of business, which is, and, and I could be wrong and this is where I want to pick, get your thought on it, but I'm not, I'm not clear on it myself. So it seems like people are either trying to get into entrepreneurship, not because they are doing something to create value for others, but they're just trying to create a paycheck that's coming in and they don't have to do anything for it. Mm. So they, the, the idea is that they can then have a team of people, probably VAs or something who are executing on the work in the back end, but then they are a hundred percent like free. And they can now go and like live the life they really want. And the reason I feel like maybe it's a mistake is that it's kind of like what you were saying before, which is that if you can find something that's in your passion, the line between like what you love to do and what you're doing for work, there is no line. Like it's, it's the same thing. It's like you, you get to do something that truly is creating value in the world, but at the same time is something that is, is fueling your personal it's, it's, it's a, it's a very fun thing to do. And then it's, it's coming to yeah. like, and you're serving, right? You're like, you're everybody who uses your tool, the value that they're getting, the world is benefiting as a result. So I'm, I'm not a hundred percent clear on it, but like, what are your thoughts on that? Do you see that too? Or is it, am I kind of like off? <clears throat> no, I think you're, I think you're right. Um, it's the, it's the passive income myth, right? People being told that like, Oh, you can, you know, spend five hours learning digital marketing and then go make $200,000 a year. It's like, there, there are a lot of people out there selling that dream. And I don't think that dream actually like ever comes into reality. Maybe like once in a while. But once again, it's the exception that proves the rule that it, that it really like doesn't often happen. Um, and I'm all about hope and believing that it could happen to you, but also like if that's what you're kind of hinging everything on, it's, it's kind of a fool's errand. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I don't think it's, I mean, it started with the four hour work week in like 2007, you know, from, uh, from Tim Ferriss. And like, I'll be honest, that's the book that really like pushed me like over the edge to my first entrepreneurial foray where I was uh, working for a, so- a software company in the Washington DC area. And I was, I remember sitting in the, the living room of the, the townhouse that I shared with three other guys. And I paid like 500 bucks a month for a room and a shared bathroom. And I was sitting on the couch. It was a Friday night and had, had the TV on. Um, was watching Office Space, um, and the the Lumberg scene came on where he's like, um, "Yeah, I'm gonna need you to come in tomorrow on a Saturday." My boss had literally done that to me that day, literally, and I was reading the Four Hour Work Week, and I was like, "Something has got to change." It's <laughs> <laughs> like close so, to home, eh? Yeah. And so, yeah. long story short, like eight eight nine months later, I was back in Switzerland where I lived before, helping run a book publishing company. And that was my first foray into entrepreneurship, um, into like true entrepreneurship, um, but or online entrepreneurship, I guess. I and and I love that book, and it's had a big impact on my life and helps me think about like automation and you know a lot of the concepts he presents are also concepts like Martel presents and Buy Back Your Time and other people. But like, yeah, like building skills that people want to pay you a lot of money for. Um, or like even building the skills to like build a software product that people will sign up to and you're, you're like, it's self-serve. You're not actively doing like, you know, sales and account management and that sort of stuff. Like it takes those things take a long time to build and any, <clears throat> there's nothing that's a hundred percent passive. Um, like I have a, uh, I, I'm, as we said, start, I'm big in the outdoors. And so I, I actually have like a, a side, uh, website. It's called singlegeared.com um, where it's like, 
it's big, it's deals on outdoor gear, right? So like mainly skiing and, and that sort of stuff. Some like mountain biking and such. That is fully automated. Like it's a WooCommerce setup and I have a plugin that pulls in uh, products that are on sale that day and it applies affiliate links to them. And like, it makes me a couple thousand dollars a year. It's my like outdoor gear slush fund. I haven't logged into that site in probably 12 to 18 months, but it's also been dwindling over time. You know, so like if I want to, you know, if I want to make more from it, I need to get back in. I need to put in the work. I need, probably need to fix some technical things. There's some like, I need better like upsells to, to the email list and like that sort of stuff. But you probably had to put some work in on the front end to make that happen. And it also took me like 10 years of like knowing how to build websites and knowing how to like string together these different tools and how to do SEO and content and get things ranking and building email lists and automate. Like it took me a long time to learn all those skills in order to actually make this thing happen, you know? So, but it's also not a, you know, it's, 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 I mean, it's $2,000 a year. Like it's not that much money, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, but I, I think that like, I think a lot of people are selling a dream that's not actually going to come to reality. And I think we need to like, we need to realize that like this, this stuff is a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work to get a business off the ground. And yeah, maybe the goal is eventually to like hire a full team that can run the business and you move into like the owner slash president role. And, you know, you're kind of like overseeing it and you're spending four hours a week on it. But like, you're not going to do that at a hundred thousand dollars a year. You can't afford all those people, right? Maybe at 10 million, it's usually around, but it's usually around like 30 or 40 million a year that I've seen my friends that run those businesses actually like start to realize that and have built out like a full like leadership team that can run it for them. So like, you know, if you're just trying to build a paycheck, that's fine. But like, you're trying to be completely out of it. You're going to have to go really big. Yeah. And and I guess what I'm saying is like, I fully agree with you. It's not, it's not the, um, it's not that you can't have a great quality of life while building a business. You absolutely can. It's, yeah. it's the belief going into building a business. That's the mm. difference. So it's like, yeah. if you're going into the business to exit the business, you might find that the reason that you've gone into the business is the wrong reason. And there's and, and then you may be exiting the business, but not profitably, but because like the person's just facing burnout or some other element because it's just not their their passionate interest and they're finding that it's a lot more work than they were expecting. And because even if you build a business, say like uh, in three to five years, you've built something of great value and you exit it, you sell it and you get this paycheck, which is great. Um, the reason you're getting paid is because you built something that's valuable and, and that value equation took a lot of work to get there. Um, and so, but then the other side about it, which is, I think is important too, is that sometimes you, you do put like, uh, I, I don't know about you, but I, I really, I love building things. So I'm, when I'm like putting my effort into building stuff, I can build things and move the, um, the mountain, so to speak, pretty quickly. And you do a huge amount of value, but then it's like the next two, three, four, five years, you start to reap the reward of that. And you don't have to work as hard because you've, you've, you've put all that effort in on the front end. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's more the, the belief thing, even as I'm listening to what you're saying, I think that's kind of what it is. It's, it's really, if, if you got into business to, to not be in business, it's probably the wrong reason to be in business. Totally. Totally. But if, yeah, but if you got in it because you're, you're, um, you're looking for that integrated life, maybe that's the better vision. You know, it's, it's like build a life that you don't have to retire from. That's probably the better. Yeah. Well, and I think it's good, like the, you know, build to like build to sell thing. I mean, it's, it's wise to build a business that you are able to sell. 
Right. Um, you need like good management. Yeah. Right. Good man. Like it's just, it's, it's just a healthy business. Right. And like good acquirers don't want to buy unhealthy businesses. Um, so like build yourself a healthy business. And a lot of the people that I have seen that are like, I should just sell this thing and do something else. It's because they haven't built a healthy business. <laughs> and so then they go and they fix it. And then they're like, why would I sell this business? This business is awesome. You know? So. Yeah, like it's a lot of people I see, but, but at the same time, it's like if you build a business that is able to be sold, usually you don't want to sell it because it's like you, you know, it's, it's, you're working on things that you love to do. It's growing. It's profitable. It's paying you what you, you know, want or need to get paid and really like want to get paid. And, you know, and then at the end of the day, you have optionality, you know, you can hire people to, to run it, you know, if you, you just get burnt out, you need to, you want to take a, you know, a few months sabbatical or something like that. Like, then you have a team in place and you're able to do that. Like that's the real freedom there. And you don't have to go through the whole like rigmarole and, and uh, challenge and stress of selling the business, right? And then transitioning it and maybe even having a boss with an earnout period and that sort of stuff. You can just come back and keep on running it, you know? Um, like I think that's the real freedom. Um, and people don't, people don't, people that haven't built a company don't see that. But like from my perspective, that's the real freedom that like entrepreneurs should be looking for. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. The, the other like thing that I remember learning. So I, I listened to a podcast on, um, entree leadership. Mm. This is like maybe three years ago now. I listened to it maybe four years ago and they, they invented, interviewed this guest and he was talking about all these businesses that they basically did this massive study and they looked at the profit ratio of businesses. And what they discovered, which is really interesting, is that businesses that prioritized, like right in day one, uh, it's kind of like what you said, where it's like, if you build a business for all the best practices, like it's a healthy business, it's, you know, that you could sell, that's a business that you're going to love to run. But if so the businesses that started and said, we're going to make our businesses profitable from day one, like they built that in and they, they built in the, um, like all of the, the stuff like profit sharing or everything else right from in day one. Uh, those businesses outgrew the other ones that were building with a burn rate. And makes sense. It makes sense, but it was the first time I'd heard that. And so up until that point, we were always building the business with a burn rate and we were reinvesting that into growth or so we thought. And then around that time, we flipped our uh, business model and it was the best decision that we ever made mm. because business is actually a lot more fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you're yeah. profitable. And so uh, it's it's funny, but it's it's such a, a simple thing to think about. Like as you're... Uh, so it's kind of like the two sides of it, I guess. It's... Yeah, it, it, it's so interesting. So... Well, and it makes uh, you be very like strategic and targeted in like what you're investing in and all of that, you know? Because like, you know, I, I pay myself a, a percentage of like total revenue, right? And so like, I don't have that money to spend. That's mine. That needs to go to me because I have expenses, right? Like I have a family yeah. and, and, you know, houses and all that. So like, I need to pay myself. Um, and so it's, it, it forces you to be honestly to, I hate the term, but to do more with less. And it's, it's not do more with too little. Like I think that's important because a lot of people say like, Oh, we're going to do more with less, but they just don't have enough money. Right. Um, but like if you have that, le like that less and you're committed to being profitable, you have to make tough decisions. You have to make more decisions about what is it you spend on and then and what you don't spend on, what's worth it and what's not. And, you know, you end up finding the things that work to grow the business and to keep it profitable a lot faster. Um, yeah. Just the, it's just the, the law of constraints, you know? Yeah, I totally, that, yeah. What, what's your favorite thing about building a business? 
Um, man, good question. Um, that it's hard. <laughs> like I love, I love solving problems. I really do. Um, and there are always things that come up and I'm like, as much as it gets frustrating where it's like, Oh, like we don't quite have market fit. Like we're getting close, but like we're not quite there. And so like making those, like the tweaks and the changes and all of that, like it's frustrating, but I also love like thinking on those hard problems and try and solving them. Um, so, you know, there's that. And then also just like, I, I think, especially with Editor Ninja, like I'm building something of value that I really believe in that provides a lot of value to people. And like, yeah, that, that's just, that's just gratifying. And like people love the product and they love the service. And, you know, we've got a, I have a great team, like a great creative team of just like weirdo editors. And I say that in the most loving way possible. Like I love working with them. They're creative and they're hilarious. And, you know, it's just like, it's, it's just fun to come to work every day, you know, and to like sit down my computer and like work on the business and to build it. So yeah, you know, and then at the end of the day, like, yeah, I do. Like, I, I love the freedom of it. And like, I haven't had to ask anyone for permission for time off in eight and a half years. <laughs> and I have friends that are like, my boss turned down my, my, uh, my vacation request. And like, my parents are paying for a Disney cruise for us and they turned, my boss turned down my vacation request. I'm like, that sucks. Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, and I just don't know what that's like. So, you know, if I have a dentist appointment, I don't have, I, I tell my team, I'm like, Hey, I'm gonna be unavailable for the next two hours. Right. But there's no, like my daughter's sick. I just be like, Hey guys, like get my assistant to clear my schedule. Hey, I, I got to like hang out with my daughter, you know? So yeah, that, that, I think actually that would be it. I think like, I do love that it's hard. I do love like building a great team and providing value and, and, you know, employing people and, and making money and all that. But at the end of the day, it is about that, like freedom over my schedule and, you know, and also like that I get to work on things that I love. Yeah, it is so much freedom. And then you get to curate your, your calendar. What would be something that, that when you were starting out, like what advice would you give yourself? Maybe, uh, let's, well, even 20 years ago, what, what advice would you give yourself 20 years ago if you were to meet yourself in the past? Build an email list. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, 20 years ago, I mean, I was like, you know, I was in college. Um, but I, I think I would have learned a lot more about like, I, th I think honestly, I would have learned a lot more about doing business online because I was just like writing for the passion of it and writing for the fun of it. And, you know, it was like sending out like email blasts, to, like listservs for groups I was involved in college and like that sort of stuff. Um, and I, I, I hear people talking about like Harvey Harley, what's his name? Sh President of Shopify. Finkelstein is his last name. Um, uh, he's talking about like, you know, early on, like 2005, like selling t-shirts online and like that sort of thing. Like I, I do wish I had started like making money on the internet earlier. Um, I just would have like, and, and just thought a lot more about like the business side of it than just like, you know, honestly kind of doing things for free and charity and like that sort of stuff. And, and I mean, all the, I, all those experiences have added up to get, to get me to where I am now. And like, I love where I've gotten to. Um, but like 20 years ago, honestly, I would have told myself to take business classes in college. Um, it could have shortcutted a bunch of, a bunch of challenges, um, and things I've just had to learn through the school of hard knocks and losing sales and, you know, all that stuff. But, um, yeah, I feel like a good base would have been, would have been helpful. But at the same time, you know, I've just, I've worked really hard and been consistent with creating and it's kind of led me to where I am now. So I can't hate on that. Yeah. That's so cool. And, and if you were to meet yourself, say like, not quite 30 years ago, like young John, you meet young John. What would, what would you say, say to yourself then? 30 years ago, let's see, 30 years ago, I would have been almost 10 years old. 
honestly, I would have said like, keep on writing. <laughs> like I, I didn't write for too long. Um, and even now, like I, 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 feel, I feel the itch to create and to publish and all of that. And so like, yeah, just like continuing on kind of following that passion. Actually, what I would have told myself is and what I tell others is like, do more of the thing that feels easy that other people think is hard. Ah, there are so many people that they're like, that's oh, quotable. I hate I'm writing on that. Do please do like that's what that's what I that's what I think we all need to do. Like you know the, the there's that that old saying of like um, you know don't ask the world what people needs. Ask what makes you come alive because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. Hundred um, percent. So like for me, like writing is easy. Teaching is easy. I love doing it. So like I need to do more of that. Um, so whatever it is, you know, for you, like, that's the thing that you should be trying to do more. of. It's not never going to be hundred percent of your time, but the goal should be to kind of slide that scale to where it is more and more and more of your time over time. John, I so appreciate and grateful for this. This has been so cool. I know we're going to ski together for sure. Definitely. It's going to happen. Definitely. Um, yeah. But yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Is there anything you want to share or say at, at the end of this? Man, we've covered we've covered so much. Like, um, yeah, no, I I think just like I don't know, man. It I my hope is that like life is long and we get to work on a lot of different things. Um, and so like something I've learned over the years is just like take yourself less seriously. Like work on things that are fun. Um, obviously you have to make an income and like all of that, but like work on things that are fun and things that you really care about, and good things are going to come. Like I, I genuinely, genuinely, genuinely believe that. So yeah, that's just kind of my, like life's, life's long, but it's also too short to like work on stuff that you hate or to work in a job that you hate or work for a boss that you hate, like making those, making those changes. And maybe it's not full blown like entrepreneurship. Like it's not for everybody. I would actually say it's for fewer people that are trying to do it. Um, but like the times that I've been brave and I've made big changes, moving to a new city or whatever, taking a new job, kind of taking a leap, it's forced me to figure it out. And that's served me really well. Um, and so like life is too short to work on something you don't love, work for someone you don't love, work for a company you don't love, run a company you don't love. Like you, people get into that as well. So like it, you are, you do have a agency and you are able to make those changes. It's going to take courage. But like every time I've never regretted being courageous in my choices. Yeah. That's, it's so true. Thank you, John. I really appreciate this. If anyone's listening, if you've got content you need edited, go check out Editor Ninja. It's pretty sweet. And the if you are inspired and, and want to take action, I think the one thing we've all learned is start writing and creating and publishing. So that's a huge one. And uh, thanks, thanks again, man. Appreciate this. Thank you, Jonathan. This is fun. <laughs>